the ministry of Jesus is bookended with prayer. Before he begins his ministry, Jesus goes away for 40 days to pray, to spend time with God, to prepare for that ministry, and before Jesus goes to the cross, he withdraws to a garden to pray. Today we read about that prayer from the garden. Listen for how Jesus finds strength in this moment of anguish from Luke chapter 22, beginning at verse 39. Jesus came out and went, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he said to them, pray that you may not come to the time of trial. Then he withdrew from them about a stone's throw, knelt down, and prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me, yet not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel from heaven appeared to him and gave him strength. In his anguish, he prayed more earnestly, and his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down on the ground. When he got up from prayer, he came to the disciples and found them sleeping because of grief. And he said to them, why are you sleeping? Get up and pray that you may not come to the time of trial. May God bless this reading to our understanding. About 10 years ago, I was sitting at my desk one summer afternoon when the telephone rang. It was someone calling from a hospital in Chicago. My stepdaughter had been having a routine medical procedure when complications occurred and the bleeding could not be stopped. I didn't know what to do, so I got up from my desk. I, I walked down this hallway. I came across the back of the sanctuary and I came right over here to that little room just outside of the sanctuary doors called the George Gordon Prayer Room. I knelt down on the prayer kneeling bench and I prayed. Now, it wasn't a well thought out prayer. It was just one of those guttural prayers. Please, God, please. By the time I got back to my office, the phone was ringing again. She had been intubated and things were getting worse. I called my husband. I said, you need to pack your briefcase. I've already booked two one-way tickets to on the next flight to Chicago. And after we gathered our things and headed to the airport, I can remember exactly the intersection we were seated at right there in the middle of the plaza waiting for one of those red lights that just wouldn't seem to turn. And all I was doing was praying, please, God, please. We cannot be a family without her. She lived. She fully recovered. But I, I was never quite the same again. Something inside of me shifted during that time of torment and prayer. Some fear awakened in me, and some powerful force came over me that I had not ever felt before. Fast forward a year. I had just completed six weeks of radiation for treatment of breast cancer. I decided that I was no longer bound to any hospital schedules or any doctor visit schedule, and I was going to celebrate. So I booked a plane ticket to Miami to see one of my dear friends. We walked on the beach, we rode bikes, we went out for dinner with friends, and when I came out of the dinner that night, I glanced down at my telephone, and there were 27 missed calls 
from my husband, and I knew this was bad. When I called Dave, his voice was shaking. Something he said, I don't quite remember the details, I just remember he said something about our son doing one of those stupid teenage things that teenage boys sometimes do. It involved a police car and an ambulance, and oh, oh no, he's home now, he said, but I was worried sick. I laid in bed all night long, literally staring at my telephone, wondering if he would be okay, if he would fully recover. I prayed and I prayed and I prayed, not words, but guttural groans. Please, God, please. The next morning, my friend drove me to the airport, but I know that I was like a total zombie. No amount of coffee could have gotten me through that morning. It had been the longest night of my life. And when I got home, I could see with my own eyes that he was going to be okay, humiliated, but okay. In today's scripture lesson, we hear one of the most raw, honest prayers that Jesus prays. Jesus reaches out to God during a time of despair, a time of anguish, a time of fear. The passage that we read from Luke this morning describes the events that we Christians describe as Holy Week, but that must have been a hellacious week for Jesus. The political and religious authorities are plotting his arrest, his trial, his crucifixion. Jesus' very best friends, Judas and Peter and the others in his inner circle, are denying him and betraying him and unable to keep their eyes open long enough to stay in prayer with him all night. Jesus finds himself desperate and alone. And so Jesus goes out there to the Mount of Olives and he looks over at the city of Jerusalem where he knows that he will meet his own demise on a cross. And Jesus prays, Father, if you are willing, let this cup pass. But not my will, but yours be done. Jesus joins his spiritual ancestors who have prayed out of their anguish and fear and longing for centuries because the prayer book of the Bible, the Psalms, offers us more prayers of lament than it does prayers of praise. More prayers come in that book of Psalms that work well in foxholes and bunkers and emergency rooms and divorce courts and prison cells and mental hospitals. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Oh God, why do you refuse to hear me? Have you turned off your notifications, God? Weeping may come in the night, but joy comes in the morning. Do our prayers work? Or do they fall on the ears of a God who is powerless to help? In today's scripture lesson, Jesus asks God to spare him the agony of the cross. And we all know that Jesus does not get the answer he deeply wanted. But as Jesus prays alone, his disciples, a stone's throw from him, but soundly snoring, something happens. Well, I mean, maybe it happens. You will have to be the judge. The, the scripture says that as Jesus prayed, that an angel from heaven appeared to him and strengthened him. 
In his anguish, he prayed earnestly, and his sweat became like drops of blood falling down on the ground. God, you see, God sent angels to strengthen Jesus in this moment of anguish, but this part of the scripture is in parentheses. It's in brackets. It might even be in the footnotes in your Bible because this part of the story is not included in the earliest manuscripts that we have of the gospel, according to Luke. They were added later. And so what are we to make of this? Was it too much for the early Christians to bear the thought that God did not answer Jesus's prayer? Or did it become clear later that God did answer Jesus, only not with the pass on the cross, but with the courage and the passion to love even if it killed him, to love us all the way to the end. Or maybe it was in the earliest manuscripts that we don't have, and it was correctly added back in when it fell out of some versions. I'm not asking you to consider a literary problem here. I'm asking you to think spiritually. Does God strengthen us when we pray? Does God's mysterious power and divine energy appear so strongly for us that it feels like an angel? We know from reading about the life of Jesus that prayer was Jesus's constant companion. Before he begins his public ministry, he goes apart in the desert for 40 days to pray and between all those scenes that we know so well about Jesus healing and teaching and feeding the masses, Jesus is constantly sneaking off to the mountaintop or to the lakeside or to some quiet place so that he can spend time alone with God, praying and being strengthened. And he teaches his disciples, including us, how to pray, giving us even the words of the Lord's Prayer so that we have words for our gratitude, for our longing for forgiveness, for the guidance we need from God. And in every story of Jesus' death on the cross, we hear Jesus there praying in the Gospel of Luke saying, Into your hands I commend my spirit. And that was an ancient bedtime prayer for children in the time of Jesus. And so when they heard Jesus say, into your hands I commend my spirit, they all had the next line of that memorized, which was, you have redeemed me, O God, O faithful one. Can you imagine how Jesus could have been Jesus without this ongoing prayer conversation that he had with God throughout his life? I don't know about you, but some days I don't feel like praying. I'm too busy. I've got so many things on the to-do list to accomplish. And besides, is prayer really effective? Does it change anything? Perhaps our definition of prayer sometimes shrinks and becomes too myopic. Too often we treat God as if God was a cosmic bellhop and we could just send up our wish list and wait for God to do our bidding. Kathleen Norris is an author and a poet, and she drifted away from her childhood faith 
She drifted away from any practice of the Christian faith, but in midlife she came back and claimed the faith that she first discovered as a little girl going to church with her grandmother. And she goes back to the small town where she grew up in the Dakotas, and she begins attending church, and she begins reaching out to the monks at the local monastery and asking them to teach her the practice of prayer. And I love the way Kathleen Norris defines prayer. She says... Prayer is not asking for what you think you want, but asking to be changed in ways you cannot imagine. Real prayer, you see, it's not a monologue. It's a dialogue, an opening ourselves up to God's presence, God's spirit. Prayer is, as I was taught in my young 20s by a towering monk who said, prayer is a heavy date with God. The goal is not for us to manipulate God. The goal is not for us to change God's mind. The goal is for us to tap into the ultimate source of reality. Is it true then that angels strengthen us when we pray? That that same source of life becomes accessible to us when we pause and pray? Sometimes our view of God is so tiny, so anemic. But the popular Christian author Rob Bell says that God is the electricity that lights up the whole house. God is the energy, the glue, the force, the life power that we all know. God, God does not oppose reason and progress. God is rather the one that is calling us forward, leading us forward in love. Dr. Lisa Miller wrote a book called The Awakened Brain. Dr. Miller came to her understanding about spirituality by studying neuroscience. While examining hundreds of MRIs, Dr. Miller noticed that in depressed patients, you could see a weakness in a particular place in the brain. But with the patients, who had described themselves as spiritually active, the brain was actually thicker in that very same spot on the MRI. In short, she concluded that the brains of spiritually awakened people are healthier or more robust in their practice of spirituality. Something changed in the brain. Dr. Miller concluded that those of us who are spiritual are 80% less likely to suffer from bouts of depression. She saw this, though, not just in the research lab or on those MRIs. She even saw it in her own family with her little boy, whose name was Isaiah. Isaiah had been adopted, and so her husband and, and Dr. Miller, they, they joined up, and they would tell the story of Isaiah to how he came to be a part of their family. Mommy prayed for you to come to us. Daddy prayed. Pop-Pop and Grandma prayed. And then one day we got on a plane and we went there and we picked you up and we threw you in the air and we said, thank God we found Isaiah. And then they told Isaiah that he was like the character of Moses in the Bible, whose mother gave birth to him and then placed him in a basket by the river and that another mother came and claimed him and raised him in another family. One day, 
Dr. Miller heard her eight-year-old son, Isaiah, playing with some other boys, and they were teasing him, and they were saying, Miller is not really your last name, and that is not really your mom. And Isaiah responded, oh, yes, I am baby Moses. Prayer is our deepest yearning. It is knowing ourselves as God's own claimed beloved ones. In prayer, we turn in our most honest relationship with God, whatever that is, and we lean on God's mysterious power, God's profound strength. In prayer, we lean on God's love so that we may love in ways we had never imagined possible. Jesus prayed to God at the most painful moment of his life, and some say angels came and gave him strength. What about you? What about us? Does God give us that same love when we need strength? Does our prayer matter? Some say prayer is what holds the world together. I know for me, prayer held me together on those nights when I did not know if my child would make it to the morning. Dr. Miller tells about the time that she was home with Isaiah. She was busy. She was working on the computer, doing her professional work. But Isaiah was a very spiritually attuned, very spiritually awake child, and Isaiah was noticing out the window that some geese were trying to come across the river that is just outside the, the back door of their home. But the geese seemed to be stuck. The, the river was white-capping, the wind was strong, and the geese couldn't seem to come across the river. And so Isaiah jumped up, he put on his galoshes, he grabbed his jacket, he goes out and stands right there at the edge of the river, and he begins shouting and waving his hands, Geesey, geesey, over here, geesey. And he coaxes them, and he, he encourages them, and he brings them to a part of the river that is more shallow so that they can safely cross. And when they get up on the riverbank, he goes back in, and he gives his mom a great big smile. Do you think it's possible that God loves us like that and is still coaxing us and moving us forward?